This is The Guardian. Hast du genug von Werbung, die deine Comedy-Podcast-Party zum Absturz bringt? Gute Nachrichten! Werbefreies Hören bei Amazon Music ist in deiner Prime-Mitgliedschaft enthalten. Geh einfach zu amazon.de slash comedypodcasts, um keine neuen Folgen mehr zu verpassen. Genieße als Prime-Mitglied tausende Acast-Podcasts ohne Werbung. Einige Podcasts enthalten möglicherweise Werbung. It wasn't the ideal start to a climate summit. Leaked documents suggest the United Arab Emirates, which begins hosting UN climate talks this week, has used the summit as an opportunity to make oil and gas deals. The allegation that hosts UAE plan to use COP28 to make fossil fuel deals is just the latest eyebrow-racing development in the story of these pivotal negotiations. In a year in which the world has experienced record-breaking temperatures, with scientists warning new oil and gas extraction needs to end completely, an oil-producing state hosting a climate summit has been seen by some as a bad joke. We have always balanced between economic growth with environmental responsibility and put climate action at the heart of our development agenda. Overseeing COP28 as president is Sultan Al-Jaba, chief executive of the state-owned Abu Dhabi National Oil Company, or ADNOC. He denies that the UAE plan to use the talks to make new oil deals. These allegations are false and it's an attempt to undermine the work of the COP28 presidency. But ADNOC appears to have the biggest net-zero-busting expansion plans of any company in the world, a fact which has led some scientists to label Al-Jabba's position as president of COP ridiculous. So, as the summit begins, what hope is there of world leaders reaching meaningful agreements to protect the planet? And can an oil executive really run a credible climate summit? I'm The Guardian's science editor, Ian Sample, and this is Science Weekly. Fiona Harvey, you're an environment editor at The Guardian and our resident COP expert. Six months ago, you were on the podcast telling us what we might expect from COP28. What's happened since we last spoke to you? There's been quite remarkable progress. Actually, a few things that have pleasantly surprised people. There's been some good news on uh, developed countries meeting the long-standing target for providing climate finance to the poor world of 100 billion a year from 2020. Uh, that would help those developing countries to reduce their greenhouse gases and to adapt to the impacts of the climate crisis. Now, that promise was not fulfilled in 2020. We now have new data, preliminary data from the OECD, showing that it was probably fulfilled last year in 2022 and will almost certainly be fulfilled this year in 2023. You know, that's, that's good news. There's been a lot of progress on a very vexatious issue called loss and damage, uh, which is about the funds that poor countries that are stricken by climate disaster need for their rescue and rehabilitation. Uh, that seems to be pretty much decided unless anyone tries to reopen it uh, at COP. So that's a very good news because that's a, a long-standing source of contention uh, at COPs. 
We've also got news that there's a summit within the summit happening about methane. Methane is a very powerful greenhouse gas, and if you could reduce it in the short term, it would knock off some of the expected heating that we're in for, maybe reduce temperatures by as much as 0.2 or even 0.5 degrees. So that is not sewn up yet, but it's, you know, it's in progress and a lot of people are optimistic about that. So there's a lot that's been happening, a lot of positive things. Okay, that all sounds quite encouraging, but what's been happening to the climate in the meantime? Well, we are experiencing this year record high temperatures. Uh, We recently saw the first temperatures that were two degrees, the global average two degrees above pre-industrial levels. Now, that's only for a matter of a few days, but still, that, that shows where we're heading. And we have the fact that our emissions are still rising. Greenhouse gas emissions, they needed to be falling by at least 7% a year this decade in order to meet the target that we would need to in order to keep within the 1.5 degree limit. And that means that we're going to have to cut emissions by at least 18% a year for the rest of the decade. Now, that's massive, a massive cut. I mean, you know, the, the chances of that are really small at the moment, unless we take some really drastic action. The drastic action is there to be taken, though. We could massively ramp up renewables. That's one of the aims of, of COP28, is to increase renewables around the world by a factor of three. That sounded like a stretching target when Al Jabra started talking about it at the beginning of this year. Now it looks increasingly likely to be met. There are many economists and many industry experts who think that the shift could happen very quickly if countries really put their minds to it. So there is still a lot to play for, but the action is needed now and it needs to be drastic. For the first time ever at COP, there's going to be what's called a global stock take. That's something that was originally set out in Paris back in 2015 at COP21. Can you tell us about that, what it means and what impact it could have? So the global stock take is a comprehensive assessment of all countries and all activities around the world showing uh, you know, where they are in relation to the Paris Agreement, showing essentially whether we're on track to stay within the Paris Agreement goals. Paris Agreement goals, remember, uh, were to hold global heating well below two degrees above pre-industrial levels, pursuing efforts to hold it within 1.5 degrees. Now, since Paris, we've had a lot of new science that has shown us that going beyond 1.5 degrees is even more dangerous than we thought. So there's not a lot of carbon budget left to stay within that 1.5 degree goal. And the global stock take is a way of telling us how far we're off track and, crucially, what to do about it. The the Paris Agreement is a really well-structured treaty and it also contains this thing called a ratchet, which means that countries, if they're not meeting the Paris Agreement goals, they have to up their pledges and they have to show what they're doing to meet the goals. 
So once we get the global stock take telling us, you know, how far off track we are, then you can start to use these other mechanisms within the Paris Agreement, like the ratchet, and say, right, countries, you need to come forward. Here's what you need to do. This is a particularly interesting COP because it's being held in a major fossil fuel producing country. And the COP president is CEO of Adnoc, that's the state oil company which has the largest net zero busting expansion plans of any company in the world. How do you think these fossil fuel interests could influence COP this year? Well, that's the big question. I've met Sultan Al-Jabbar several times, and he makes the argument that he is really well placed to do this job because you've never had a business person in charge of COP before. He's an oil company exec. He's also the founder of a very major renewable energy company. Before he took on the oil job, he co-founded Mazdar, which has interests all around the world in renewable energy, including the UK. So he's got that kind of dual experience there. And his argument is that he can speak to the oil industry in a way that they understand. And in the words of one developed country diplomat, they're trusting him to deliver the oil industry. Now, that's a a pretty big proposition. And, of course, some oil companies have claimed in the past to be heading in a greener direction. And really, you know, that, that hasn't actually transpired. So it's possible that we will get some deals that involve the oil industry. I mentioned methane. Uh, A lot of methane in the world today comes from flaring, which is uh, when you allow methane to escape, be burnt off rather, uh, from oil and gas operations. And if you stop them from doing that, then you can cut a lot of emissions very quickly. So if Al-Jabbar could orchestrate a deal on that, it would definitely be a step forward. However, it wouldn't alter the fact that these companies, including his own, are still planning an expansion, and we just can't have that. So how does he defend that expansion and all of Adnoc's operations? Well, when I spoke to uh, Dr. Al-Jabber, he said that that was just an expansion of capacity, wouldn't necessarily be used. He also argues that Adnoc's uh, oil and gas is much lower in its carbon content than oil and gas from other countries because of the effort the country has put into modernising its extraction operations, making them cleaner and more efficient. So, you know, that's, that is an argument. However, The Guardian has done an investigation looking at Adnoc's operations and Adnoc claims that it doesn't do routine flaring anymore. But what our investigation has found is that there's quite a lot of flaring going on. So I think there are still unanswered questions there. And if there is going to be an agreement on methane at this summit, one of the most important things that has to happen is that countries agree to some kind of measuring so that they can show that they're reducing their methane emissions. I can see, Fiona, how Al Jabba will make the case that who better do you want, you know, to be running something like this than someone who can potentially deliver the fossil fuel industry. But equally, you could look at it and say, well, from the fossil fuel industry, they might think, well, look, the best person we could have running COP is one of our guys. It's someone on the inside of the oil industry who's 
you know, they could say, well, maybe he's not going to allow anything to happen that's going to upset the apple cart for us lot. Yeah, both those things are true. And this is about a long-running issue at COPS. Should fossil fuel companies even have a place at the table? It's, it's a dilemma because you need the fossil fuel industry to, to change radically until a couple of years ago, there was really no agreement that we should have fossil fuels really mentioned in the talks. And so a lot of countries have decided that, you know, it's about time uh, that we rectified this. So what they're arguing about at COP28 is whether it should be a phase out of fossil fuels or a phase down of unabated fossil fuels. The thing is that, you know, even in 2050, we're likely to need a very, very small amount of fossil fuels. If you tell fossil fuel companies that there's still going to be some fossil fuels needed in 2050, every single one of those companies thinks it must be theirs. You know, they think they're the ones who are going to be still standing, who are going to still have the right to emit in mid-century. And you know what? It can't be everyone. So if it's not going to be everyone, then everyone has to have a plan to phase down, to not only stop expansion, but to actually contract. And that's a really hard thing for companies to agree to. That's basically saying they're going to put themselves out of a job. And for countries that produce fossil fuels, it's saying, well, here's this massive source of national wealth, and we're going to forego that. So... It's a pretty big thing. We were the first country in our region to commit to the Paris Agreement. The first to set out a pathway to net zero. And we have diversified our energy mix into solar, nuclear and hydrogen. We are not shying away from the energy transition. In fact, we are running towards it. Finally, Fiona, you've reported on these monumental summits for a long time. Is there any way to predict what the outcomes could be? So what's really important about COPs, and I've covered 16 COPs in person on the ground, the, the most important thing I can say is you can't prejudge COPs. They are extraordinary occasions. You get 198 countries together, you get world leaders, you get civil society, you get industry, you get all kinds of, of people coming together and strange things can happen. That can be uh, triumphant things or disastrous things. And UAE is in a unique position here. It's a close ally of Saudi Arabia and many other oil-producing countries. Now, Saudi Arabia doesn't have a great history at COPs. It has obstructed COPs before now. So if UAE can go to Saudi Arabia and say, come on, you know, come with us, you know, do something positive for a change, then that would be a really big development. So it really does come down to how Sultan al-Jabbar runs this. You know, he has set out why... He thinks he can do a good job. So he's got two weeks in which to prove that. Well, good luck, Fiona. Safe travels. And we'll be keeping up with your reporting over the next couple of weeks. Thank you very much, Ian. 
Thanks again to Fiona Harvey. And you can follow all the environment teams reporting on COP28 at theguardian.com. And do check out today's episode of our sister podcast, Today in Focus, where Damien Carrington tells the story of the secret plan to get the developing world hooked on oil. Just search wherever you get your podcasts. And that's it for today. This episode was produced by Madeline Finley and Eli Block. The sound design was by Tony Onachuku. And the executive producer is Ellie Bury. We'll be back on Tuesday. See you then. This is The Guardian. Wünschst du dir, dass dein Lieblingsnachrichtenpodcast nicht mehr durch Werbung unterbrochen wird? Gute Neuigkeiten! Werbefreies Hören bei Amazon Music ist in deiner Prime-Mitgliedschaft enthalten. Geh einfach zu amazon.de/nachrichtenpodcasts, um immer auf dem neuesten Stand zu bleiben. Genieße als Prime-Mitglied tausende Acast-Podcasts ohne Werbung. Einige Podcasts enthalten möglicherweise Werbung.